Good morning. I see that the... No, this is still at Naomi Height. <laughs> yeah. I'll get it up to... Now, do you have to be an engineer to do this? Or... It probably helps. I'm good at cooking steaks, but not... Uh, I will manage with that, yeah, that's fine. I don't need that. It's uh, an exciting week, Christmas week, Um, even though Rachel and myself have sort of been saying that it doesn't actually feel that Christmassy, like, um, apart from the tragedies of the week and the uh, just the I guess the busyness of life and things change when you're a child and Christmas sort of is so exciting from like two weeks three weeks out when school finishes sort of thing and become a parent and the responsibilities and the the workload and that's sort of just sort of on your mind and um, it sort of can it could be the middle of April sort of thing for all you know we know but. But at Christmas, uh, Christmas this week and, and it's all about presents, it's about giving and sharing and laughter and fun and we sing a lot about a baby being born in a manger and the stories of the, the wise men and the shepherds and their gifts which is good and it's true but ultimately that baby that we talk about and share about and sing about was born to die. And while on Thursday we celebrate the birth, it might sound like a contradiction of terms but we also must remember that this baby was born to die and that death not only changed the way people talked about what year they were living in but changed everything for the life that we live here on earth and our status before God and our eternal destination. So we meet Mary, a teenager in Luke 1 and verse 28. She's been set to marry Joseph, a descendant of David and the angel Gabriel says to her uh, So I'll go from uh, uh, 28 The angel went to to her and said Greetings, you who are highly favoured The Lord is with you The Lord is with you. You are highly favoured. I mean, it sounds like Mary is in with God. She's in the circle of trust, as Jack Burns would say, the ex-CIA agent, if you've seen Meet the Parents. She finds favour with God and we don't read about Mary's wealth and possessions and how much her family owned. We don't really read too much about her social status. In fact, she was most likely very poor. She was yet to be married. She was a young female, very vulnerable in that time 
in that place. Yet God finds favour in her. I haven't done this for a few months. And chooses to bring Jesus Christ into the world through this young lady. And in verse 31, it says, You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. You know, it's a fair question, isn't it? How will this be? And it's a question perhaps we possibly ask God a lot when we feel like God is calling us or asking us to do something or to be somewhere. How could that possibly be? I'm settled down now. I've got family, I've got a job, I'm at school. How do you expect me to change schools? But the answer that the angel gives is a very same principle as what we live by today. That through the power of God and the Holy Spirit it will be done. As we who are God's children and live as his people today We are empowered by God through his spirit who lives in us. And God's plan for Mary wasn't about Mary going to achieve extraordinary things. God's plan for Mary wasn't that she would be worshipped and adored because she is amazing and perfect. but that through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the power of God, God will do something extraordinary through Mary because her attitude was, yes, Lord, I'm ready, use me. What if I told you this morning I know the plan for you? I know what God has planned for you and I don't need you to pay me money for it. I don't need to spread out any cards or look to the stars but I can tell you I know what God's plan is for your life. Well, you might think that sounds quite extraordinary but I only need to look into a few passages in God's word to to show you and it's Romans 8, 28 to 29 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And again in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we who with unveiled faces are being transformed into the likeness, into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God's plan for your life is that you would become like Jesus. Quite simply, God's plan for your life is that you would become like Jesus. That your character, 
that who you are as a person, that who you are known for, what you are known for, what you stand for, is an image of what Jesus is like. It's not a one-off thing. It's not something that happens instantly but it's a work in progress. It's something that happens gradually day by day. When you confess that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness and believe by faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that there's no other way to God except through Jesus, then you become a Christian and two things automatically happen. One is that Jesus Christ comes into your life through the Holy Spirit. And we see that in, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 6.19, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you receive from God. And the second is you are saved from eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. That's where you'll spend eternity. Guaranteed. And from that moment on, that God enters your life through his spirit, your original purpose for being created doesn't change. In fact, it just sort of kicks in. That if you surrender your life to Christ, he will change you. If you give control of your mind and your thoughts and your decisions to Jesus, he promises to change you, to, to make you more like Christ in the decisions that you make, in the way that you treat people, in the way that you love people. If your attitude is to say, Jesus, take me today, my mind, my thoughts, my decisions, I give it to you and use me. He promises to change you, that people no longer see you for who you were, but they see more and more of who Jesus is. This year might have been the most successful for you. Perhaps you finished year 12. Perhaps you've had a fantastic promotion. Might have been the most successful financially, the most successful perhaps family life. But in in that God is wanting to make you more like Jesus. Or perhaps this year, 2014, has actually been the most difficult. Some of life's toughest circumstances have come your way. But in those circumstances, God's plan for you hasn't actually changed. He wants you to be more like Christ. Or maybe the year has sort of just rolled on and you know how the, the, we sort of always say during the year, oh, it's gone so quick, it's already June, it's already, oh, it's Christmas next month and, and now we're at Christmas week. And the year's just gone on and nothing really has changed. And you're still scratching your head about work, maybe scratching your head about what to do when school finishes or uni finishes. Or maybe at the other spectrum and you're sort of thinking, well, what's next for me? And no answers have really come your way. It hasn't been a really uh, sort of a year. But in that, God's plan for you hasn't changed. God still wants 
to make you like Jesus. When people have told me, uh, I don't know what God's plan is for my life, um, only in recent years I, I probably have felt confident enough to sort of share with them, do you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ? Do you surrender yourself to him? Do you continually give your mind to Christ? and allow him to have control of what you think and what you do and what you decide, what decisions you make. Because allowing God to be in control, allowing his spirit to take control of your thoughts and your decisions is the beginning of the process of God doing a work in your life, doing something extraordinary in you, making you to become like Christ, giving you godly character. Because beyond the jobs and before family life and before house location, before anything, above all plans, God's number one plan is that we would be Christ-like. The reason that we were created. No matter what life looks like for you, December 21, 2014, God wants to make you more like Jesus. And this change in your life will only come from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the verse said. Not anything you can personally achieve but allowing God to do something in you. We're to live with an attitude of dependence upon him just as Mary had said, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. I love verse 37 of Luke 1 and you could probably speak a whole sermon on it. But nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, actually for a couple of months now, I've sort of been trying trying to achieve a few things in the backyard. Um, with a little bit of success and, and, and quite a lot of help from people. But I asked uh, Steve uh, Ryder to like, come over and give me a hand uh, the other week and uh, I was, I'd struggled with digging this hole for this post so he like, brought over this jackhammer and we just went nuts. Oh, he did, yeah. And uh, I said to him after that, I said, oh, look, I'm trying to build these steps like in the back door. And uh, I had sort of drew some pictures and thought about what I thought it would look like. Um, I don't have experience in this. And if you know me, you know that you do not pick me when you play Pictionary first. Um, I'd be the last person you want to actually be playing with. And if you, uh, 
if you saw the pictures that I probably drew of the steps that I thought we should have on our back door, um, you'd probably see that you'd probably end up walking straight into a wall or something. But really ordinary. He sort of had a giggle and then we moved on and he was nice enough to actually help me out and aren't they extraordinary steps? <laughs> so, so he actually helped me out and he, he pulled out like every single tool out of his uh, trailer that he had and we had saws everywhere, all these electrical ones and um, it sort of went beyond my knowledge of what tools are like because I've got like a hammer and I've got one of those things that you pull the weeds out of the backyard <laughs> and I recently bought a uh, angle grinder. Yeah. <laughs> it's dangerous, dangerous. When you go from one of those weeders to an angle grinder, <laughs> those weeds just get out like that. And he got everything out. We went to Bunnings. He spent like a few hours with me and I, I was just commenting, uh, I was saying to him like afterwards, he finished uh, and uh, I said to him like, even though you know what you're doing, if you didn't even have those tools, if you just had a normal saw, he's like, oh, I couldn't imagine what it was like when Dad was young, you know, and he had to use all those things and oh, if you didn't have power tools, what would you do? Like everything would take forever. And I... And I said, I, I don't even have the knowledge, let alone the tools. And I was saying, this would be impossible. This would be impossible for me. I couldn't have done it. I, yet I had in my mind the whole time that I was going to draw these things and I was going to do it, but I wouldn't have got anywhere. We often use the word impossible when we don't have a plan. When we don't have a plan, when we don't know actually how to do something, when it gets too difficult, too big, it becomes impossible. And we can definitely face things in life that get too big to handle, that get out of control, that we can't no longer deal with. Perhaps a situation that we've never faced before. And it quickly can become so big that we look at it and we say, this is an impossible situation to deal with. I dare say in the last seven days there have been people just around Australia, let alone the world, especially Pakistan, who have looked at life and said, this is impossible. How am I going to get through this? Yet when we're caught off guard and when we face the impossible, where do we turn to and who do we turn to? What do we do in those situations? There is only God in those times. There is only God because with him nothing is impossible. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. I'm sure the people of Israel thought that they were facing an impossible situation when Joshua was leading them to the promised land. I'm sure it was there were there were thoughts amongst the estimated two million people of the nation of Israel at the time that had to cross the river to get to Jericho to where they were going. 
and it was flooded at the time, it says. Yet Joshua's call was that we'll just keep walking and God will take us there. And so the whole nation, I mean, we're not talking about 50 people, like maybe 2 million people, the whole nation went. And I'm sure there were thoughts that this can't be possible. This is crazy. Look at it. Look at the river. And the, the priests who had to carry, go at the front and carry the Ark of the Covenant, who had to not stop at the edge but keep going and put the foot in the water. What's going to happen next? We've got to keep going. And when they did, God did the impossible. Spread the waters. And the whole nation crossed on dry land. All two million of them. Because with God, nothing is impossible. When Daniel was in the lion's den and the hungry lions were there, it would seem impossible that he could live but God just sent an angel to his created beings and just shut their mouths because with God nothing is impossible. When Jonah got thrown overboard, the men that took him in the wild storms said to the Lord, cried out, don't hold us accountable for this man's life because we've got to get rid of him because no one expected that he would live. But God just brought along one of his created big fish, take him up, keep him safe for a few days, get his attitude right, spit him out and he's alive because God, with God nothing is impossible. Mary was facing a situation that as Naomi shared last week, Perhaps some of us would think this is impossible. A terribly difficult situation where she was called to bring the Saviour into the world, to raise this baby and deal with what society would think of her. She was not yet married to Joseph, a virgin having a baby. But with God nothing is impossible and she said, yes, yes Lord, I'll trust you in this. You are my saviour, you are my Lord and I'll trust you. You might not be facing the impossible today but life's experience tells me that it's probably not that far away. when something you'll deal with, it'll be too big, be too hard. It'll be impossible. And you'll say, where will I turn to? Where will I go? With God, nothing is impossible. Surrendering yourself to him. Got to catch up a bit. Surrendering yourself to him. 
allowing God to take control of your mind and your thoughts, your decisions, your actions, your lifestyle, what you are known for, what you stand for, allowing God to be in control of those things will allow him to change you, to make you more Christ-like. And when circumstances come your way which may seem impossible with God in control there is a peace that is beyond all understanding there is a peace that is beyond all understanding but when you don't know what's going to happen next And perhaps what happens next isn't actually what you wanted to happen because it doesn't always just turn out in time the way you want it to. But when it doesn't turn out the way you want it, it's still about surrendering yourself to God that in that he will make you more Christ-like. knowing that his ways are above our ways. Does anyone know what that is? I only know a number of birds, the ones from the AFL, like the magpie. (laughs) But this is not one of those birds from the... Anyone know what that is? A pheasant? It is a pheasant, yes. Have you been shooting recently? (laughs) No, not lately. Um, When we were in the... uh, It was 2011, uh, about July, uh, we were in the south of Scotland. I guess you could just call it North England, Stuart. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. That's the only one I had lined up for you. Uh, yeah, we were down the south of Scotland in this little town uh, village, I guess, at Langham and we were staying with uh, Stewie's sister, Rachel's auntie and her partner, Pete. And I spent one day out with him, one of his friends who has a, I guess, like a pheasant farm and he arranges these for, for shoots in December uh, people pay a lot of money to come up from London and all across the UK and they come up in the woods there and they um, shoot these things all day and pay thousands of dollars. But we, the, the day that I was there um, was actually one of the hardest days for the year where they take the, these, these pheasant birds from... Uh, they have the, like, these massive um, cages, like 10 metres long, probably um, a few metres wide um, and there, there's do- oh, probably a dozen of them. Um, across the, the land and the netting about this high off the ground um, and you have to get, I didn't, but you have to get in there and actually at this time of the year, at July, grab them, uh, put them all in these cages and you transport them up to the woods where they live for the next few months before they get shot. Uh, I'm sorry if anyone from RSPCA are listening. Uh, it's a... I guess that's, that's what he does for a living, this guy. Anyway, we were some of pretty much a city sort of a guy. I'm not a really country uh, fella like Pete is. And uh, he took one of these pheasants because it's 
was a little bit limp. And I didn't know what he was going to do but he grabbed it and right in front of me he just like banged it and his head on the thing because it was, wasn't good for shooting. You know, it wasn't going to work. And I was oh, I sort of... Oh. And the other Scottish guy, well they said a few things I wouldn't repeat now but they, and they sort of just laughed at me and I was quite taken aback by what he was doing it. And in my worst Scottish accent, he sort of said, Oh, hey, it was born in today. Oh, and I said, Oh, right. And I, I was, uh, you know, I've got the worst memory at the best of times. But there are certain things that are said um, and certain things that I see which stick with me. Um, and often I think that would be great actually to use in a sermon one day. It's only taken three and a bit years, but um, stuck with me, born to die. The whole purpose of these birds being looked after and cared for actually by this guy is that he'll make a lot of money off them being shot. I'm not saying this morning that we forget about the baby story of Jesus. In fact, at this time of the year, it's important not just to think about the baby story of Jesus, but to look at why he came. He didn't come just to bring us stories of shepherds and wise men, although that is true and a part of the story. And he didn't just come to make water into wine and perform miracles, although it's part of it. Jesus didn't just come for a three-year ministry and to teach his disciples, although it's part of why he came. But ultimately he came to die. He was born to die. He humbled himself from heaven as the passage says in Philippians 2. He humbled himself from heaven and became in human likeness and was born of Mary. But that's just the beginning of the story. He humbled himself and became obedient obedient to God's plan and obedient to die on a cross for our sins. There's no other way to be made right with God than to Jesus to die and for us to make a decision to believe in what he's done by faith. So it brings us to a place this morning where we have a choice to make. We have a choice to firstly believe in Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Believe that what Jesus did on the cross was to die for my sins that I might have a relationship with God that would allow him to come into my life and change who I am, that I would become Christ-like. 
and that I would be saved into an eternal relationship with him, that I would spend eternity in heaven with him. You believe that this morning or you reject it. Do you know this morning that he is your saviour? Without a doubt that you've believed Jesus Christ is my saviour. And I've believed by faith that he died for my sins and that he's in my life and I'll spend eternity with him. Do you know that this morning? Do you know Jesus as your Lord? You may know him as your Saviour, but do you know him as Lord, Lord of your life? Jesus Christ doesn't just want to be your Saviour. He wants to be in control of your mind, in control of your life because that actually starts that process of change, that it's less about who you are were and more about who Jesus is in your life every day. Have you come to a place where you surrender yourself, everything, who you are to him and see that God is doing something extraordinary in you because his spirit is in you and you are empowered by God just as Mary was